You're listening to the sermon audio from Rising Church. We hope that it encourages you and blesses you. If you want to know more about the Rising Church, please visit our website. Thanks for tuning in. For the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, at a guy named Gideon. And, um, and, and how God used him to deliver God's people from a horrible situation. If you have Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Judges chapter 6 or, or turn them on. Um, a lot of us have our Bible on our phone now or on a tablet, and, and uh, it, uh, I think that's awesome. But we, we picked up in Judges chapter 6 where we learned that Israel, uh, God's people, so if you're not familiar with the Old Testament of the Bible, Israel is, is, is God's chosen nation, chosen race. Um, they hadn't been the most faithful people. Can you relate? There are times in your life, there are seasons that you can look back on. Maybe you're in one right now where you're just like, I'm struggling to be faithful. I'm struggling to deal with some of this stuff. Um, So what they had done is is they had actually adopted the worship of other gods. Um, So this is equivalent to, uh, what's what's an ancient god that you're aware of? Maybe from mythology. Zeus. All right, perfect. This would be like us bringing Zeus... Uh, into the church and praising Zeus for his lightning abilities or whatever. I forget which one he is. Um, but, but you see how kind of goofy that is? Like, we are God's people today, right? Would you agree? Amen? All right. So, we are God's people today. That would be like us gathering together. And yes, we're going to praise God's name, but we're also going to praise the name of Zeus. So, instead of Jesus, it would be Zeus, Zeus, Right? Seems a little odd, seems a little foreign, right? Seems a bit, like even saying that, some of you are like, I can't believe he just went there, you know? This is where Israel was. They knew the God of the universe, they knew the creator, they knew all of these things, all right? But they had introduced false gods into their worship, into their lives, and they trusted them for what they had been trusting God, or for what they should have been trusting God with. This led to a number of issues within the nation, but mostly their their full faith wasn't in the one true God. And so in an act that I would actually characterize as God's grace, God lets them worship these other gods. Did you know that God is going to let you make decisions in your life? (laughs) Imagine that, right? God is going to let you choose what you want to do because, because that's what love does, right? Love is not controlling. Love does not, does not tower over a person. Love does not do certain things that, 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 would, that would take away the freedom of other people. When you see true love happening in a relationship, what do you see? You see freedom. You see trust. You see open communication. You see a lot of different things happening in this kind of relationship, and you don't, you cannot make someone love you. You cannot make someone love you. And so for God to control our actions, for God to, to demand and, and, and work something in a way that we are forced to respond and forced into the law of that, that is not a part of God's nature. And so he allows us to choose. Now, as we, as we learn, if you went through Boundaries, or if you've read the Boundaries book, um, the, the, the idea of that is, if you choose that, then 
I'm going to choose something too. And, and so what God does is in his grace, in his love, he says, you guys want to worship other gods? That's fine. But I'm going to step back and allow you to see the result of your decision. And so God removes his protection from Israel, and, and we don't really know the mechanics of how all that works, and there's, there's struggle in, in trying to figure out and, and weigh those things out between ethics and morals and, and, and theology and all these other kinds of things. But we look at it, and God <coughs> doesn't really exit the building. He never leaves us or abandons us, but he just kind of takes a step back and says, well, let's see how this works out for you. Because those aren't real. And they don't have your best interests in mind like I do. So, God would step back, let them understand that these, these gods were mere fabrications of the human mind. And if there was any supernatural power behind them, it wasn't of good nature. So as a result, Israel had been through seven years of oppression. Seven years of oppression. Of oppression at the hand of another nation called Midian. Whenever Israel would plant crops, Midian would come in and just level them. They'd either set them on fire, they'd just walk all over them, they'd, they'd come in with swords and weapons, and they would just destroy the plants. If they had livestock, they'd walk in, they'd slaughter the livestock. They might burn it, they might take it, but they would destroy it so that they couldn't get milk, they couldn't have the meat, they couldn't enjoy their labor. And this, you can imagine the effects. This, this would cripple Israel's economy. This would, this would cause people to live in a state of starvation. They would be in fear constantly. Um, they, they would be trying to survive. And the Bible says that they cried out to God. And, and one day, uh, when Gideon was working quickly to get some food for his family, remember, he was, he was threshing wheat. How many of you have ever threshed wheat before? I have not, so I have no idea what this process looks like, all right? Um, but he was threshing wheat in a wine press, all right? That's like using a screwdriver as a hammer, right? It's not the tool that's made for. So, so what we learn from this is that Gideon was afraid. He was doing something undercover. He was trying to hide the fact that he had food for fear this, that a spy from Midian would see it and, and would call in some troops and basically... Either, either just take the food or take him with the food. I don't, I don't know. But he was clearly afraid. So Gideon's threshing wheat in a wine press and just trying to feed his family. And an angel of the Lord shows up and, and tells him that, that he'll deliver Israel from the Midianites. Now be careful with this because especially if you've been a Christian for a number of years, we read the scriptures and, and, and we just look at things as normal. Like an angel of the Lord shows up. Well, we expect to read that in the Bible, Right? Okay, but you're at home cooking dinner, and an angel of the Lord shows up. It's a little different, right? We're like, oh, that better not happen, because the words I just said after I cut my finger are not holy, right? You, you kind of deal with some of these things. And so so the, this is, make sure that you, when you read this and when we're talking about this today, you pay attention to what is supernatural and what is awesome because, because that's part of the key for what I need you to, to get and take away. An angel of the Lord shows up, tells him he's going to deliver Israel. The angel calls Gideon a mighty warrior. It tells him that he will not die, that he will strike the entire nation of Midian down as if it were a single man. Gideon, confused, a bit startled, 
And just, I don't know, a bit naive, I guess. He, he wanted a sign from God that it was actually his messenger. And if you remember from last week, what he did is he went back to his, to his we'll call it a hut. We don't know his home, <laughs> um, his shelter. He prepared some food. He, he made some bread. He, he prepared some meat and some broth with the meat. He put it on a rock when he got back to see the angel. And what the angel did is he took the staff that he had in his hand and he knelt down and touched the, uh, he touched the rock, the food on the rock. And do you remember what happened? Fire shot out of the rock and consumed the food. I love fire. This excites me, okay? <laughs> like, this is miraculous and awesome. And he didn't have to, like, you know, sit there with sticks to get a fire to sacrifice this food. The angel just touched it, and it was consumed. And, and we get the impression that it wasn't like they sat around this stone and enjoyed a bonfire together and had a, you know, a healthy heart-to-heart conversation, right? No, there's, when you read this text, it's instantaneous. It's like, boom, it's gone, right? And this fire was so hot, so rapid, so ferocious, that it was just amazing. And awesome in its own right. So much so that, do you, remember, uh, do you remember Gideon's response? He said, oh no, my Lord. When have you in your life ever said that before? Oh no, my Lord. Right? It's usually when something bad goes wrong, right? I don't know that we've ever had something awesome in our lives happen. Maybe you have, and, and, and you shout out in, in praise and glory. But if you've seen fire shoot out of a rock before, I want to hang out with you. Because I just want to see that happen at some point in my life. And, and I, think that, I think that we would have some, a similar reaction to it. Something that is just so strange. Something that is just so awesome. Something that is almost miraculous. Well, is miraculous happening. And Gideon's response shows that he knows he has been interacting with the one true God. Now, we're going to fast forward today for what, what I want to mainly talk about. We're going to fast forward to verse 33 in Judges chapter 6. And, and we're going to see here that Midian is coming to uh, Israel for one of their raids. They're gathering together. And remember, the Bible talks about them being like innumerable in number. Their camels are innumerable. They come and they swarm like locusts and they're going to destroy the land and it's going to be horrible. Midian's army is camped in a valley nearby and we'll pick up here on uh, uh, verse 34. The spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon and I'm going to skip to 35. He, he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh who rallied behind him. He also sent messengers throughout Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and, and who also came to meet him. So we, we, learn, we learn two things here in, in this, these two verses. We learn that, that the Spirit of God enveloped Gideon. What's it mean when something envelops you? It just completely covers you, takes over you know, that's, I mean, if you think about the word envelope, right, you stick something inside of an envelope and it's completely covered. So the idea here is that the Spirit of God is just all over Gideon. And, 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 and I mean, that's got to be exciting, right? That's, that's, that's got to, like, what do you imagine that feels like? Right? I mean, think about what that would feel like. And, and we don't really get the sense that Gideon knows that he's been enveloped by the Spirit. I, I would assume he would. Because he blows the horn after. But this is pretty incredible. 
considering what we, what we talked about last week, including the fact that his hometown wanted to kill him for tearing, tearing down the altars of the false gods. Not only did his hometown rally behind him, but three other communities as well, which is kind of awesome, right? This guy went from being a zero to a hero pretty quick. They're preparing to take their stand against their oppressor. And you have to imagine there's an electricity in the air. You know, have you ever been a part of something where, where like you're a part of a group of people and you're getting ready to do something that you guys have worked really hard for and there's a little bit of hope coming around, and, but you're kind of anxious all at the same time? Some of you, it is, it is Veterans Day tomorrow, and, and thank you to those of you who have served. And I have to imagine um, that you felt something of this nature in your time, in your service. Sometimes you feel it just leaving a movie. I remember one time um, I went and saw Fast and the Furious with a friend at the movie theater. Fast and the Furious is all about the street racers. Not a, not a godly movie, um, but still fun to watch. Um, and, uh, and I remember leaving the theater, and this is why it's not godly, because I left the theater wanting to speed down the streets of beer, just wanting to race everyone, right? And, uh, and, and I pulled up next to my friend at a stoplight. We're both, you know, we both have like, beater cars, right? And we're, we're revving our engines, you know, we take off at the speed of two mile an hour after the stoplight kind of a thing. But there's still that, like, that electricity, right, that you, that you deal with. And, and you've got you've to insert yourself into the situation and, and just, just look around and try to pay attention to what's going on in the text in order to understand what's happening because, because this, is, this is huge. There's this feeling of hope in the air. Four communities have gathered together. There, the numbers of men are in the thousands. Thousands of people. You know when you go to a sporting event in a stadium and there's thousands of people gathered? Just the fact that people are gathered together creates an excitement in the air. There's this feeling of hope, which is much different from what they've been experiencing for the last seven years. Um, They've had enough, and there is clearly a feeling that God is in their midst, though I'm sure it's not without some level of fear, anxiety, a uh, little bit of concern, like, what's the plan, dude, kind of a thing. But I, and I think that that's most true for Gideon uh, when you look at everything going on, um, just because of what happens next. Here's, here's verse 36 in Judges 6. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said, I will put a wool fleece here on the threshing floor. If dew is only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will deliver Israel by my strength, as you said. So this is where we need to ask some questions of our pal Gideon here. Because it wasn't that long ago that Gideon had a pretty incredible encounter with God. Right? Fire shooting out of a rock. That's pretty awesome. Angel sitting underneath the oak tree. Not only that, but the angel, God speaking to him again, instructing him, giving him uh, plans, giving him promise. He's not only, not only those things, but then you look at what's happening in the, that exact moment. The Spirit of the Lord enveloped Gideon. He blew a horn 
Four communities with men numbering in the thousands are now behind him, ready to take on this oppressive nation. And Gideon is still questioning things in this moment. Uh, If you will deliver Israel by my hand, as you said. That's not a, I believe God's going to do this kind of a thing, is it? This is a... Uh, this has all happened so fast and I'm not sure I'm right, you know, kind of a thing. He's clearly anxious. He's questioning things. He wants some sort of confirmation from God. And here's, here's the thing. He knew, he knew what God wanted him to do, right? He repeats it back to God. If, 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 what's he say? He says, um, if you will deliver Israel by my, hi- my hand, as you said. He knows God said it. He knows what God said. So what would be your response? If you were to say something to your child and they were to say, if you really are going to uh, spank me if I don't do my chores, give me a sign. <laughs> right? right you know kind of a thing that's the idea like this is kind of the state of mind that Gideon's in so he knew what we would call the will of God right that's Christian speak for knowing what God wants us to do he didn't need clarification on what God wanted him to do so in my mind there's only two options and they're actually tied together of what Gideon is thinking and the first thing to consider is that Gideon is fearful who wouldn't be this is an army that has been oppressing your nation has been stealing from you has been threatening to kill you for the last seven years you there is there is definitely what is that Stockholm syndrome isn't that probably what's taking place at this time he is just believing that there is nothing going on And he's really having trouble coming out of this state of hopelessness. He's probably really afraid of messing this whole thing up, too. Whenever responsibility gets placed on our shoulders, what do we think? I really hope I don't mess this up. Right? He's either going to be hailed as a hero or he's leading these communities to their death. I don't know many people that would want this weight on their shoulders. He's all of a sudden become the commander of an army. (laughs) It just is a lot all at once. And and, and you think about this, especially when this guy's already looking down on himself. Remember what he told the angel. He looked at the angel when he said, "Uh, greetings, valiant warrior, (laughs) right? And he was like, dude, I'm the youngest of the weakest in, in all of my community. I am literally the weakest one. How can I be a valiant Warrior, remember that this is what he thinks of himself. This is what he's been told his entire life. It's super easy for us to look at Gideon in this moment and condemn him, especially those of us who, who are, uh, would claim ourselves to be faithful Christians. We look at him, he's like, dude, we're like, dude, you've had sign after sign after sign. You've got so many people at your back. Like, why are you insecure? Why are you fearful? Why are you worried? Like, shame on you for not having more faith in God. But when you consider his upbringing, probably all the hurts that are contained in that time, his experiences as the youngest of the weakest family, 
The fact that they are clearly far from God and don't have any faithful examples of how to live their lives out as the chosen people of the Lord God Almighty. It's clear that he's completely out of his comfort zone and acting on a command from a God who he has little to no experience with. It's definitely a lack of faith. But right or wrong, there's a reason for that lack of faith. And that leads me to my second point, and really the root of the issue. Gideon has no clue who God is. Gideon has no idea who God is. He's heard stories. But we can accuse Gideon of doubting and being faithless and, and, and of seeing great things and then turning his back on them only to ask God for another sign because he asked God for yet another sign later in the story, which we'll cover in a week or two. And it's, it's with some merit. Like, I don't, don't get me wrong. He, he came face to face with the angel of the Lord. But then I think about myself. And I want to encourage you to think about yourself and how quickly... We forget the blessings of God. How quickly we forget and turn our backs on the truth of God. How quickly we disregard the love of God as something that can be brushed off and ignored and, and is, it is not enough. How quickly the direction of God in my life so far has led to this point. And I look back and I go, yeah, God was with me there, but I'm not sure he's with me here. And back there, when today, I'm thinking, yeah, I know he was with me then. When I was there, what was I thinking? I'm not sure God is with me right now. But I know he was back with me there. And we go back in time, back to that place, before we had the knowledge that we have today. And back then, we were asking the same question. I'm not sure if God is with me now. We don't seem to learn our lesson. How quickly... I'll just speak for myself. I ask God, are you sure? Are you sure? Maybe you ask the same question. Your God is setting you up for a trial and you see it coming. Maybe you didn't see it coming. And you look up at the heavens and you're like, why did you pick me for this? Why am I dealing with this illness? Why am I dealing with this cancer? Why am I dealing with this person? Why am I going through all of these issues? Why has tragedy struck my life or bankruptcy struck my life or why I've been trying to live the way that you want me to? Are you sure, God? Because that's what Gideon is asking of God. What he's really asking Is this, he isn't really, is this really what you want me to do? Because he already knows what God wants him to do, right? He knows. He repeated it back to God. The question behind the question. Have you ever noticed that when somebody asks you a question and you know that's not the real question they want to ask you, but they're just kind of like, they're either opening the conversation or just trying to get a little information out of you? You ever been in that situation? That was good. <clears throat> um, 
The question behind the question is, is, is God, are you strong enough? God, are you good enough? God, are you really faithful? God, are you trustworthy? God, are you really going to lead me to victory? That's the question that Gideon is asking of God right now. It's not, are you sure? Like, is this going to work? No, he's, at, he's questioning what? He's questioning the character of God because he doesn't know God. He didn't have the written Word of God sitting on a shelf in his hut. <laughs> he didn't have the privilege of looking back over years and years of God's faithfulness through stories like we're doing today, looking at the life of Gideon. He didn't have a pastor, a mentor, or a father who follows the Lord and can provide counsel and encouragement and rebuke. All that was spoken of the one true God is equal to myth and legend. Have you ever asked yourself when you read the Bible, like, do I believe this more than I believe fairy tales? Or uh, Paul Bunyan, right? Or Godzilla, right? I mean... I know that sounds silly, but, but you have to ask yourself, do you believe the stories of the Bible to actually be true, or are they just there for like grown-up uh, stories with a moral? Have you ever asked that question of yourself? And asked how, how deep, how, how far this goes? Because we were all taught, like, as kids, you know, different things, you know. Um, I, I, one is not coming to mind right now as far as a nursery rhyme or, or a, a little story or whatever. But we were all taught the golden rule, right? Treat, treat each other as you, should, as you would treat yourself. Is it just a good idea? Or is it the way to life? So... Gideon is skeptical. It's because he does not know God. That's why he's skeptical. And, and here's the thing I want you to remember, is that it's the character of God that powers the promise of God. Gideon had a promise from God. Gideon had what God wanted him to do. He had the outcome. You will not die. You will be victorious. You'll strike down Midian as if you were only one man. He had all of these things that were specific to the situation. Right? How many times have you wanted God to speak to you in the way that he spoke to Gideon? God, just tell me what you want me to do. He did that with Gideon, and Gideon's still like, are you sure? You know, kind of a thing. He's looking around and like, God, I need confirmation about all this because this is a little scary. The character of God powers the promise of God. And, and it makes sense, right? If God is not good, then what good are His promises? If I were to promise you on your way out the door today, I'm going to give you each a $100 bill. Do you believe me or don't you believe me? No. no. Why? Because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, but think about that. 
Right? That's not a track record. That's not my character. It's not what you've come to church for, right? I mean, well, we got about 70 people here today. That's $7,000. That's more than, that's pretty much what we need for the entire month to run the place, right? We're not just going to give that back to you on a whim. Like, we just felt nice, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's, that, that's probably not going to happen because you'd all look at us and go, you're fired, you know, kind of a thing. And it's just not a part of the character. It's not a part of the track record. It's not a part of what's happened in the past. Gideon has no experience with God being faithful and proving himself. Does it not make sense that he would not trust God? And if God were to show us through his character, through his actions, through his dealings with us in our lives, if for some reason we interpret God's actions as being negative, are we going to trust God? If we read about things in the scriptures and we automatically have a negative mindset at the outset, we're not going to know the character of God and therefore the blessings of God are not going to be powerful. The character of God always powers the, the, the promises of God. You know what's a promise of God? Eternal life. That idea that when you pass on from this life, you're going to a greater and a better life, that's a promise of God. And what does the Bible say? That if you don't know God, you don't inherit eternal life. Oh. It kind of turns our cultural Christianity churchy thing upside down, doesn't it? I'm off track, so we're going to get back on track. God's promises are tied directly to who he is. That's the point. That's the bottom line. God's promises are tied directly to who he is. And because he's a good and gracious God, he answers Gideon's request for a sign. Judges 6.38, it says, And that is what happened. When Gideon got up early in the morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung dew out of it, filling a bowl with water. That's a lot of dew. Too bad it's not Mountain Dew, right? <laughs> um, but he fills this bowl with water. And there's no dew on the ground beside it. That's odd. That's a miracle. Uh, not really one of those things that we would be like, woo, and cheer about. It's just like a confirmation is what we would call that, right? So then we move on. Judges 6, 39. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Everybody say, oh, no. Right. Don't be angry with me. Let me speak one more time. Please allow me to make one more test with the fleece. Let it remain dry and the dew be all over the ground. And that night God did as Gideon requested. Only the fleece was dry and the dew was all over the ground. I mean, that's cool, right? <clears throat> that's pretty awesome. But this is where I'm tempted to roll my eyes at Gideon. Come on, man. Right? You got fire shooting out of a rock. You got a fleece that is just full of dew. You wrung it out into a bowl and, and it filled with water. And you want another sign? But think about it. Like, really think about it. Gideon knows the army is near. He can probably hear them in the distance. He might be able to see torches. They're in a valley. So he can probably get up high and spy down on them. He knows this battle is looming. He's, 
He's peeking in on the battlefield and he has this old identity that he's struggling to rid himself of and a new identity in God as being a chosen valiant warrior who's going to deliver Israel. Those two things compete on the highest level in his own mind. He's got this idea that has been drilled into his head that he's trash. He's the weakest of the weakest. Surely he can't lead people into battle. He's got a command and he's got a promise. And Gideon knows he's dealing with the one true God, but he's still looking for reassurance because he has no idea who this God is. He does not know this God. He knows of him, but again, it's legend. It's myth, basically. He knows he's dealing with God, but he's still looking for reassurance. And it's so easy to look at Gideon in the midst of this story, especially if you're a seasoned Christian. Why were his doubts so strong? Like, why is he still looking for signs? But I have to ask you the question, don't you continue to look for signs? Don't you continue to ask God for reassurance? Don't you continue to put circumstances together and think, ah, that's what God wants me to do? When it turns out, like, nope. <laughs> You know? Like, like this whole idea of a fleece has turned into a, a Christian way of trying to petition God when actually it's a, it's a form of testing God. I, I'm going to use myself as a, as a personal example. Because I think it's important that you know that though I carry the, the title of minister, um, I struggle with some of these things. And God's been teaching me over the last year, especially, how to rely on Him, how to call on Him. And so I'll speak professionally um, as, as, as from what I do and maybe at the same time give you a little inside look. The Bible is clear about the calling on my life. Um, as a minister, my primary responsibility is to prayer and ministry of the word. That's what, that comes from Acts 6-4 uh, when, when the church was getting so big and, and there were people problems. Like people weren't getting fed, people were getting disgruntled, there's conflict. There were a lot of things, that, the moving parts that needed to be taken care of. And, and um, so the duties of tending to the church became greater than what the apostles could, could handle. And they appointed other leaders to care for the physical needs of the people. Primarily so that the apostles could continue doing prayer and the ministry of the word. So that's my, like, my one-line job description is prayer and ministry of the word. Sounds pretty cushy, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, a lot of people, I've, I've heard it before, um, and, and, and you guys are so gracious, and, and you, you typically, um, this is not something I experience often nor even recently, but, but it has happened before that somebody has looked at me and go, when are you going to get a real job? I've had that said to me before. And, um, and uh, some people will, will say, well, you only work like you know, two hours a week on Sunday morning, um, kind of a thing. And, and, and some weeks... Like that week between Christmas and New Year's, that's true. <laughs> like we're done, we're out, we're taking a vacation kind of a thing. And that might be true that week, but that's not always true. Um, but it's not about the busyness. 
It's, it's quite honestly um, one of the fiercest battles that anyone can fight. And, and you can take this for what it's worth, but, but let me give you an idea. Because I think you've had a taste um, just, just, just in summoning the discipline to take time out of your schedule to pray. How many of you struggle to take time to pray every day in a regular, routine fashion? Like honest, focused prayer? Right. I'm not alone in this. I struggle with that. And it's, it's like the Bible, God commanded, promised, right? That's my job, is to pray for you, is to pray for this church, is to pray for God's blessing on life, to, to pray for His power to work within me to encourage you and to work within you to encourage one another. But taking time out of our schedule to be silent before God is extraordinarily difficult and everything else in those moments, even when you do make the time to schedule it, everything else in those moments seem to be uh, more important, right? You have, you have bigger priorities on your list because why just sit here and talk to God when, when I could like, go out and do things for God kind of a thing? And then on top of that, either your mind won't shut off and, and you start praying about one thing. I know you've experienced this. You pray about one thing and then it shoots off thinking about, oh, the two, I forgot to pick that up at the store today, right? Kind of a thing. Oh, that bill is due. God, I can't, I have to go pay that because if I don't, I can't ask you for blessing in my finances when I'm not paying my bills. And so you, there's just always things. And then sometimes a cat or a dog will jump up on your lap and distract you, right? Or a phone call comes in. It's just extraordinarily difficult. And then to sift through a text written in another language at a much different time takes much work. And like an artist painting a picture, uh, the work is never 100% perfect. And to be still before God, to petition Him, to let Him heal deep wounds, to guide you through dark valleys, waiting on Him to guide your next step as the place you're standing on feels shaky and unstable, all the while you are called to encourage the faithful around you, sharing their pain, their suffering, and bearing with one another as we all limp toward heaven together. It is a legitimate war zone. Like I think sometimes we, we, we reduce church to a thing that we come and do and it makes us feel happy and then we, go, we have the energy we need like it's a meal. We've come together to eat together, and in a lot of ways it really is because we're feeding on the Word of God together. Like We've worked hard to make sure that the songs that we sing, the scriptures that we read, the prayers that we pray, the, the, the sermons that I, that I speak are just drenched in the truth of God. Because that is our food. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I peek in on the battlefield and my flesh screams out in doubt and faithlessness. Don't you? Don't you? I mean, we've got to be honest with ourselves here. When someone asks you to pray with them out loud, what's your reaction? Aren't you instantly uncomfortable and instead of feeling privileged to intercede on behalf of another person, you're like, let me go get somebody else. <laughs> kind of a thing, right? Have you ever thought about sharing what God has done in your life? Why the gospel is real to you? What, with, with someone who has questions and instantly you feel incapable or insecure or fearful? 
about how you'd present that and coming off looking like you know nothing about your faith? Have you ever tried to read the Bible knowing that, that you should study it, memorize it, do all those things that you've heard in church all your life, and, and you, you get up after a few minutes in frustration because it isn't immediately apparent what God is speaking to you or it was clear to you, but you really didn't want to believe it? Have you ever known you've needed to forgive someone or apologize to them, but you come up with excuses or avoid the matter altogether? Guys, that's doubt. That's fear. Because those actions are actions that take a stand against the forces of evil that have been oppressing the human race, not just for seven years, but for millennia. See, we're in a similar situation that Gideon was in, though, though we really can't see our oppressor. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. A.K.A. real people talk, we're fighting against ghosts. And we don't really know how to fight ghosts, right? I mean, that's just not readily apparent. So when someone ticks us off, when someone we're, we're with just really makes us angry, it's really easy just to reach out and do something about it rather than retreat and go into prayer. Right? It's really easy to, to just do something about it rather than d dwell on what the Word of God says about how we handle our interactions with one another, how we bear with one another, gleaning advice about certain things. And so the same thoughts, the same doubts that Gideon had will creep into our minds as well. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I don't know enough. I'm not qualified for this. I don't want the responsibility of this. The answer to all of that is not to walk out of here going, man, he's right, I do doubt. I, I'm just like Gideon. Because that's basically what I'm saying, is that we're all Gideon in this story. There are, there are certain situations that will cut you off at the knees and will cripple your faith, no matter how strong you think you are. So the answer is not to walk out of here feeling guilty that we doubt and that we struggle and that there is something that could cripple us in faith. It's not to pull us up. Pull, it's not to encourage you to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and 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 you know tell each other that you need to be more faithful. You need to have more willpower in this because we. How far does willpower go? I mean, how many of you have made that New Year's resolution, right? And you got to January fifth. That's that's me every stinking year, right? That's about, like, within the first week, I'm already missing a day. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it was fun while it lasted, <laughs> you know? Willpower ain't going to do it. But more importantly, it's not okay to shame each other in this situation. Because, uh, let me be honest, our enemy would do everything in his power to make us feel that shame. Because the shame will destroy your identity that God has given you. 
Shame will keep us from approaching God for fear that he won't accept us. Shame will make us feel inadequate, unqualified, and useless before God. And we will sideline ourselves from the battle at hand. We won't need someone to take, our, take us out. We'll put ourselves on the bench. All because we feel ashamed. And we feel less than. And I think that's exactly why God didn't condemn Gideon for testing him since, that, 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 since throwing out the fleece was a clear test of what God was trying to get him to do and a test of God's character. Deuteronomy would tell us, it's clear in the law, do not test the Lord your God. And when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he was asking him to test God and he repeated it back to him. He says, it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. So what is the answer? The answer is in the character of God. Because it's what powers the promises of God. Think about it. When God doesn't respond to our prayers the way we had hoped he would, our reaction tends to be to question him, right? His goodness, his ability, his, even his existence. We'll look at the Garden of Eden. We, at the beginning of the year, we, looked, we were talking about um, the very beginning in Genesis. When you, when you look at the very beginning of, of Scripture, how did Satan get Eve to eat the fruit? She attacked, or Satan attacked God's character. Did God really say that? And, and don't you think he's keeping something from you? AKA, don't you, do you really think he has your best interests in mind? Do you really think he's good? Do you really think he's faithful? Make sense? If, 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 if our enemy can get us to doubt the character of God, then he can for sure cut off the supply line of God's blessing and his promises in our lives. If he can get us to doubt who God is, it will cause us to end the relationship because what kind of a God is a liar? What kind of a God is unfaithful? What kind of a God shows up late? If he can attack the character of God in our lives, if he can keep us from the character of God, he can most certainly short-circuit the promises and the blessings that we can receive from God. I found in human relationships, when I know someone, when I've walked with someone for a length of time, and I know them personally, if they do something out of character, I will generally give them the benefit of the doubt, don't you? You walk with somebody, they, they, they may even mess up, they may do something wrong, but you're like, dude, what fueled that? You know, and you, you would open up that conversation. Some jerk on the street, you know, would have done that to you. You'd have been like, dude, you want to throw it down? Kind of a thing. We'll take this out back. Cash me outside, right? Kind of a thing. And, and, and you deal with, you just, you just automatically write them off. Like, forget you. You know nothing about their character. You know nothing about their story. You know nothing about what's going on in their lives. And because you know nothing about them, it's so easy for you to label them worthless. If you don't know God, if you don't know the character of God, if you don't take time to study who he is and give him a shot, you will never, you will never have the promises of God and you will never experience the blessing of God. And that includes eternal life.
the relationship, the human relationship factor isn't a, pers- isn't a perfect parallel. But in my walk so far, when I, when I seek out why God acts the way he does, I learn something new about him and quite possibly about myself. I learn that his timing is, is perfect. I learned that even though I wanted something to go a certain way, it was actually better that it didn't. And I grow deeper in faith because I gain the experience. I gain learning. I gain information. I gain a knowledge of the person of God rather than just the work of God. And I can learn to lean on Him and depend on Him and trust Him. But just like every good relationship, I have to invite the conversation and be open to His answer. Isn't that how great relationships work? Open lines of communication and a trust that both sides are acting in the best interest of the other? You might say that that God doesn't speak to us, and while he doesn't necessarily speak to us like I am speaking to you now, I would argue he's spoken quite a bit through the scriptures. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answers uh, some people he's talking with, and he says, it is is written, man must not live on bread alone, um, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. (laughs) I use that scripture, or, or I use this example in a different way. He's working with Satan right now. Satan's tempting him in the middle of the desert. The life that God has to offer us is directly linked to the Word of God. What Satan was trying to get him to think is that he would not survive if he did not have bread in his belly. But Jesus says, no, I know that my God can sustain me. I know he's promised he will not kill me. I know he has a greater purpose for me. I know my identity in my God. He will not let me go. Man does not live alone on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The life that God has to offer us is directly linked to the Word of God. So, we read, we study, we learn who God is, and then we talk back. Not, not in, the, in the way that your, your children would, but we, we respond. God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know if I believe this. How does this work? You're not answering. You don't seem to be answering me, so like, I want you to show up. I'm trying to get to know you, but you're not like responding. And we open up this, this conversation. We ask questions of God, and that's actually a form of meditation and study. Did you know that? This is why I ask questions of the text when I'm preaching to you, is to show you how to come to different ideas about what's going on, how to, how to understand and insert yourself into the story. It's a form of meditation and, and seeing what God, all that God has in store for us. So meditation and study is kind of like chewing and digesting, right? It takes time. Like, just like physical food gives us the energy to keep moving, uh, to think, to heal, the Word of God does the very same thing for us. It begins to root out the sinful tendencies in our lives. It brings you the strength and conviction to say yes and no at the right time, to heal the wounds of your soul, to think more accurately about the world, about sin, about the Lord. And this process is ongoing. As new situations and circumstances present themselves, we again turn to the word of God. We ask questions, we chew, we digest, we pray, we seek wise counsel. And we find ourselves more and more devoted to God as our minds are transformed and we trust God more and more. So the simple fact, of the, the simple fact is this, the character of God powers the promises of God. Say that with me. The character of God powers 
the promises of God. You need to remember that because if you feel like blessing is, is in, in short supply on your life, if you feel like God's not fulfilling his promises, then there's probably something that you have to learn about God or about yourself. And that's only found in the word of God. He's revealed so much to us. He's given us so many examples of how he is faithful even in the midst of sin. So if you're struggling in faith, if you feel stuck, if you're afraid or you're feeling abandoned by God, or you're, you're probably, honestly, what you're probably trying to do is do too much of this on your own. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a reason why Jesus says this in Matthew 11, 28. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. How many of you walked in here weary and burdened this morning? I did. I talked with... Um, Late this week, I talked with one person who's going through a separation. And it came out of nowhere. And I, and I went to the hospital and found out that a man that, that attends church here is, is laying in the hospital. And his cancer has spread. And there's not a lot of treatment options right now. Not much you can do, right? Sometimes. And so where do you go? Where do you turn? What do you do? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, stop working. Come sit with me. Come have a conversation with me. Come get to know me. And doing so will bring you rest. Stop it. Right? Isn't that the opposite of what we think and what we've been taught? Work harder, do more. If you want to get further in life, you got to keep going. You got to go, move, move, move. And we transfer that into our spiritual life, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He says, You want rest? You want to know me? Come sit with me. Come know me. And sometimes the simplest answers are so hard to accept and even more difficult to actually carry out. But my ongoing prayer for the people who make up the group called Rising Church is not that you do more or give more or become smarter in your knowledge of God, but that you would simply know who God is. That you would know Him on a personal level. That you would realize the identity that He's given you in Christ Jesus and that it would enable you to rest from all your fear, all your worry, all your doubt. And in that rest, you'll find an odd and unlimited courage to enter the battle that is now on your doorstep. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you being like Gideon right now and going, I don't really want to do that. Can you give me another answer? Like, can you just tell me, like, give me a three-point process, plan, like, Tell me something that I can know God better, increase my faith, do all those kinds of things. Right? We think like that, don't we? And honestly, the temptation was to give you a list. Here, read these scriptures, go pray like this, all this other kind of stuff. But if someone were to do that for your marriage or for your relationship, would it, would it succeed? Probably not. Because you're different from every other person in the world and so is your spouse. Those of you that are single... Is, is there a guide for dating, especially this day and age? No, there's not. Um, <clears throat> there's no path to success in this. 
other than just doing it and spending time with the Lord. Psalm 62, 5 through 7 would give us this encouragement. It says, rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. My salvation and glory depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge is in God. You're seeking answers and bringing busyness on your life. When God says, come to me, let me be, my, let me be your refuge and your strength. Let me give you rest and let me fight your battles for you. If you read ahead in the story, I'll give away the ending. That's exactly what God does for Gideon. Gideon doesn't even lift a sword. He goes out, he blows a horn, and that's how he wins the battle. Because God went ahead and fought for him. Let God fight for you. You sit back and get to know your God so that when a battle, when a trial, when something comes on your doorstep that shakes you, you can sit back and you can know the Lord my God fights for me. I will not be moved. I will not be shaken.